0: Hi, this is Brian Johnson, the publisher of MassDevice.com, and you're with us on Device Talks. Today, we have Martha Shaden, CEO of Rotation Medical.
1: I'm Martha Shaden, and I am President and CEO of Rotation Medical. Martha, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here.
0: Um, I'd like to begin just a real sort of top-level view of Rotation Medical's mission in treating rotator cuff disease. What's the problem? And what is your solution that you're providing or developing?
1: So uh, I'll start by saying that uh, this is a very uh, typical problem in today's aging population. There are over 4 million people in the United States alone who uh, suffer from some kind of shoulder pain. And about a million of those are MRI diagnosed with a rotator cuff tear They have failed conservative treatment, like injections or physical therapy. And generally, um, they're in a lot of pain and they can't sleep at night. It's a degenerative disease. Um, So small problems become big tears if they're left alone. And there's a fair number of patients who should be getting treatment but shy away from it. They avoid getting the surgery, and there's a number of reasons for that, but a couple of big ones are that um, the treatments today aren't necessarily doing the trick. Mm-hmm. Um, um, patients will get a what they call an acromioplasty in the early stages of the disease. It does nothing to treat the tendon. It treats pain only, treats the symptoms, and over 40 of those patients go on to get uh, a tear, and those tears um, will uh, become full thickness tears over time. Um, If they do get repaired uh, later, when the disease is more advanced, um, today's treatments, there's a up to 40% re-tear rate. So patients know about this, they hear that there's all sorts of variable uh, results, And so, and the rehab is very long and very painful. Patient can be in a sling six to eight, 10 weeks, depending on their situation, and then four to six to eight months of physical therapy. And um, surgeons will say, I'll ask them, what's your biggest problem with rotator cuff in your practice? And they'll tell me, they never know whether what they're doing is going to work.
0: Right, because you said there's a 40% chance of re-tear. That's so right. So they go through all that, and That's then right. they really only have a 60% chance that it's going to cure their problem.
1: That's right, in some key, yes. Now... Um,
0: and is the problem a range of motion problem, or is it just It could be pain? both.
1: It could be pain and or range of motion. And so patients, if their, their rotator cuff surgery fails, they'll just live with the pain and or the, the decreased motion. Hmm. Um, so the quality of life is really affected um, so with today's treatments um, they are they're addressing rotator cuff tears um, with a, a biomechanical solution and what I mean by that is that they are used to reattach the torn tendon back to the bone hmm um, and even with today's patches, they're there for mechanical strength, right? But I think that if you talk to doctors, they recognize that we're trying to treat a biologic problem with a biomechanical solution. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, you know, there's a great analogy that, um, you know, if you have um, a sort of a frayed rope and you try to tie it to a post... That rope is only going to hold as well as the fibers in the spot, rope will, right. will let you, right? And the, the same is true here. If you have tissue, underlying tissue, that is very frayed or is lousy tissue, what they call lousy tissue, um, and it, it it's not very healthy, um, even when they try to reattach it, um, you know, there's a strong possibility that that could just pull away. So those sutures and anchors aren't really going to hold lousy tissue. But that's how we're treating the problem today is with that biomechanical solution. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other thing is, is that in the very early stages of the disease, when the patient is showing tendinopathy, where it's very inflamed um, and, and or they have a very small tear. Um, many times the surgeon doesn't do anything because there's not a good solution to intervene early. They don't want um, to, they, they can't, there's not really a reason to try to reattach it because it's attached. Or if it's a very small tear, um, the treatments today aren't very well suited for it. So they generally leave those kind of things alone and those progress so um, and and as I mentioned, um, the rehab for patients is very long and can be very
0: painful. And so, rotation medical, you, this company was founded when and then your solution to that, yep. is what.
1: Um, so we were founded in two thousand
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and nine. We're located in uh, Minnesota, in Plymouth, Minnesota, um, and our solution. Um, I would tell you that there's really no other solution that addresses the problem the way we are addressing it. This is truly a um, novel paradigm shift. What we're doing is addressing the biology of the tendon. So we believe that if you can heal that tendon, if you can induce new tissue, that ultimately that induced tissue will heal the tendon then you get a more durable, predictable result. And if you can do that, if you can repair through the biology, um, then potentially there's less likelihood of the tear progressing, mm-hmm. and or um, retears after it's um, repaired.
0: Right. And so, how do you do that?
1: So the way we do this is we have developed a um, a what we are calling a bioinductive implant. It is made from um, a a cow's Achilles heel Mm. that um, we reconstitute. And um, we take it down all the way to its fibers and build it back up. And it's um, organized and, and structured in a proprietary way to allow the blood vessels and fibroblasts to quickly grow in and integrate and because our um, the the porosity is in the direction of the tendon, you and it's under slight tension. You get remodeling of uh, those blood vessels and fibroblasts into connective tissue. Mm. So our implant, our bioinductive implant, actually helps induce new tissue growth, creating a thicker tendon and thereby healing the mm. tissue.
0: And so you, you implant, you put the implant actually in the tendon, and then the new tissue grows over the top of it, so it, it stimulates growth? Or? The,
1: it grows within and, and, and then proliferates on top, so it remodels, mm-hmm. and the, our implant actually reabsorbs within six months. Mm-hmm. There, um, so our implant is high porosity, highly aligned in the direction of the tendon, with, and at a very low modulus, which means it's um, a very it's under low strain, which allows the um, body's healing process to kick in and heal itself.
0: That's great. And so, where are you in the development process of the, yep. the device and the regulatory pathway? Yeah, how close are you to market?
1: Yeah, we um, commercialized our product last fall. Mm-hmm. So we've been selling in the United States. We got our five ten k. Um, in last spring, in April of 2014. And we did a limited rollout of our technology to a select group of doctors um, and have since been broadening our distribute, you know, our uh, where we're selling um, since uh, October of last year.
0: What's the feedback been from the the surgeon community and from the patient community that you've seen?
1: So from surgeons, um, they are extremely excited about this technology. First of all, they've never seen anything like it. I think it's the only and first technology to um, show that we can clinically, in clinical results, have shown to induce this new tissue. Um, So surgeons get it. They understand that the next frontier is not, more uh, stronger sutures or suture anchors. It's about the biology, right. and we're addressing the biologic issue. They are extremely um, excited about it. It gives them an opportunity to treat earlier, so that the disease doesn't necessarily progress to the point where the patient has to have you know more significant surgery, and the outcomes, the prognosis could be worse. Um, we also um, so. We've also started seeing surgeons telling other surgeons. So when yeah. we first started, it was very new, and we were out there talking to surgeons, and it, they hadn't heard about it. Now, it's when we go to visit surgeons, um, it's unusual for us to find a surgeon who hasn't heard it from someone else.
0: Right. Well, that's great.
1: Yeah, so they're very excited. Yeah. And on the patient front, um, what we're seeing um, it our patients getting better faster, right. um, and um, their their rehab can be much much quicker depending on where in the in the disease progression they're treated. Um, we've got several videos of patients that are showing what doctors call remarkable progression a uh, progress mm-hmm. uh, based on where they would be if they had just done uh, a typical repair. With suture and suture anchors,
0: that's great. And so, it's derived from a cow's Achilles tendon. It is. So, this is, is it, I'm sort of curious. I guess How many cows' Achilles tendon makes one uh, implant, or is it one per? Or it's, maybe? it's How do you source that?
1: Yeah, this is. Um, so there, there's a closed herd in New Zealand mm. that we source it from, and that's important. You know, to keep the quality and the. Sure you know, manage that, all of that. Um, But yes, you know, we're, we're harvesting the Achilles. um, And these are very, very small implants. Mm -hmm. Um, They're probably um, maybe twice the size of a postage stamp, just to give you a perspective. Very, very thin. They, um, they, they're thicker than a piece of paper, but not much. Highly per, you know, highly, highly, high porosity.
0: Yeah. Uh, do you anticipate that there's other uh, applications for this? And, we do. And say, uh, you know, the knee or the...
1: We do. We believe that um, where there's tendinopathy, where there are damaged tendons, we believe that the same principles would apply mm-hmm. in other anatomies. Right. So it could potentially be a platform technology. We started with the shoulder because, as you know, the shoulder is uh, extremities in general is a big category, big sector of orthopedics, yeah. and it's one of the areas that continues to grow uh, pretty, pretty uh, uh, attractively. You know, we're orthopedic, orthopedics in general is growing two to three percent. You know, you see a six to eight to ten percent growth rate in some of the other spaces. You know, in extremities like shoulder.
0: Right. I've always been sort of fascinated by the orthopedic industry and sort of the, I guess, the hierarchy of joints. Yeah. Sort of inelegantly put it. Yeah. Um, Where do you? So, if you take the knees, you take the ankles, you take the spine, you take the shoulders. Where? Where? What's the sort of? top of the of the pyramid what's the joint that ever or the part of the body that every orthopedic company really wants to to attack where where, where are you seeing that
1: yeah that's a great question so orthopedic market is about 45 billion dollars as you know right um the top of the hierarchy is spine um but closely followed by by knees and then closely followed by hips so those are, you know, those are sort of the big three. Mm-hmm. Um, the arthroscopic soft tissue market um, of that 45 billion is about uh, four and a half to five billion. Wow. So it's pretty significant. And as I mentioned, where the other segments like re- reconstruction, ne- uh, knees and hips are slowing growth is slowing and there's tremendous price pressures. Um, You see um, areas like, you know, soft tissue continue to grow at a pretty attractive rate.
0: Right. Because you've been in the orthopedic business for a good portion of your career, correct? I mean, you worked at Zimmer.
1: I've been in um, the medical device industry for um, many years. For orthopedics, it's been about five. Okay. Five of those. Yeah.
0: So, I mean, it's interesting because we have... I think you said a forty-five billion-dollar industry, mm. but and yet, when I talk to analysts, when I talk to people, there's always sort of this feeling that the orthopedic industry is is extremely crowded, that it's in flux, that we're in a period of massive consolidation. Yeah, I mean, when, when we look at the landscape, you know, what what is it? What does the landscape look like to you? And, and then, how do you yeah. kind of? pigeon or pigeonhole or niche in rotation medical to compete in that landscape how difficult is it for you
1: sure yeah so you know it is in flux the industry is in flux um as you know there's been a lot of consolidation some mega purchases you know smith and nephew bought arthur care uh zimmer just bought biomet Wright medical bought tournier Mm -hmm. so there's consolidation and i think Um, I think consolidation will continue, right? Um, And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. I think there's macro and microeconomics that are driving that. You know, for instance, um, you know, hospitals are under a lot of price pressure. They're looking to to improve their profitability. Uh, One way to do that is to consolidate purchases from a few rather than many. Right mm-hmm. and and thereby drive some um, I think more attractive contracts. Right. Um, so these um, the consolidations are with companies that are looking to uh, try to become that those one or two that are are you know sort of the the full uh, potential provider to these to these hospitals or providers right. Um, I think there's a lot of cash on the books, yeah. you know, and they got to spend it. They can either buy back their shares or they can go out and do acquisitions. Mm-hmm. They're also looking to fill gaps in their portfolio where they can differentiate themselves, especially either in you know key high growth geographies or key spaces like like shoulder and foot, right. for instance. Um, I think all of that's going to continue. Perhaps not. there's not too many mega purchases left. Right. So we're probably going to see small, mid to smaller size purchases. Mm-hmm. Um, but you ask, where do we fit in? Yeah. Um, I also think that as these companies get bigger, um, there's a lot of focus on driving costs out of their, their operations, exactly. as well as driving costs of their products and services, driving them down. Um, I, I do think that um, there's room for companies like ours that offer a very highly differentiated uh, breakthrough technology uh, that addresses a very well articulated unmet clinical need um, where the mega companies may not be um, in a position to innovate as quickly as we can as a small nimble company. For us to, um, you know, bolt into their portfolios and fill a gap and help differentiate them. I mean, certainly, a company that already is in the shoulder space and rotator cuff disease, treating it, um, this gives them an opportunity to treat the entire treatment, entire disease state, from early intervention, all the way through to, um, you know, the late stage. And and uh, become sort of that uh, rotator cuff company, the go-to rota- rotator cuff company.
0: And and I, I assume that given the market realities, that part of what your value proposition of what Ro- Rotation Medical is selling is that you're taking some level of cost out of the provider system by removing the potential for the re and the things like that. So is that part, has that been part of the- That's right. The value proposition that you guys have been selling? That's sowing? right.
1: There's a, there's a lot of, there are a lot of benefits. I mean, let's start with physicians, for instance. Um, this gives them an opportunity to treat that earlier stage of the disease um, where they really didn't have a good solution, where they may have just done a, a chromioplasty. So now they have a solution for those patients. Um, the procedure itself takes 15 minutes, um, and um, a, nor- a typical uh, repair with suture and suture anchors, depending on the physician, could take anywhere from 20, to two- 20 minutes to 2 hours. Mm. And probably, typically, it's 45 minutes to an hour. So from a, a time of surgery perspective, there's an advantage there. Um, our system, we, we sell a complete system, so it includes the bioinductive implant along with arthroscopic disposable instruments. Um, the hospital is gonna love disposable instruments um, because there's no need to re-sterilize them. Right. They don't have to have infrastructure to support it. It's, um, it takes up very little shelf space. Um, from a rehab perspective, um, in the early stages for partial tears, when our technology is used instead of repair, uh, the rehab is one to two weeks in a sling versus six to eight weeks in a sling, and four to five PT sessions versus, you know, four to six months. So there's cost savings there. Um, you're right about the revision costs. You know, there's a certain percent that have to be, uh, you know, the, the retear rate, potentially we will reduce retear rates and can reduce retear rates, so you avoid the cost there. Um, you avoid the cost of, you know, potential infections because this is a one-time use. Um, so there's multiple, multiple uh, benefits, both for the, the doctors, the hospitals, as well as the
0: patients. Yeah, I'm interested in how the patient I mean how do you reach that patient yeah because i mean you you said yourself this is probably a traditionally it's kind of a low compliance in terms of i'm going to go get the treatment i'm mean, going to feel the pain um and i don't know how do how do you how do they find out about the yeah the solution
1: yeah so uh, when i said low compliance i meant um So there's a million people that that are diagnosed. There's about 600,000, 650,000 who actually get surgery. Mm -hmm. So there's still a great opportunity to to reach those other 350,000. But to directly answer your question, um, generally, uh, right now, because we're early, um, the patient is being reached through the physician. So we're educating the physician who is then educating their patient on the benefits of this, right. which is you know um, shorter recovery time, uh, potentially no retears, um, more durable, uh, more predictable healing, and that's been working great. Right,
0: and this is this is a. a, a Rotator cuff disease is primarily a function of aging.
1: So, uh, yes, it can be from a, a traumatic event. Mm-hmm. You know, a, um, like a you fall, or mm-hmm. um, you know, um, you're you're lifting weights and you know you're lifting too much weight. But generally speaking, um, the rotator cuff area is an area of low blood supply, and so it is more susceptible to degeneration as we age. Hmm. And um you know folks uh, patients sometimes think well I'm going to just wait and it'll get better. They don't get better. They don't heal spontaneously. Right. You got to help them heal.
0: Yeah. So that In
1: fact um I'm sorry but no, please. um I think there's a statistic that um almost 50% Of people over the age of 60 or 62 have some kind of tear Mm -hmm. in their rotator cuff Uh yeah so it's it's pretty prevalent
0: yeah um so this aging demographic that's sort of the holy grail I guess for the Uh orthopedic industry it is but if it's still I I guess it kind of feels like we're in a post boom phase right now I mean because of all the investment that came in um, over the past prior to the recession in, in the orthopedic industry Um, how how do you how do you see the future of the industry in terms of where maybe where we at now on the bell curve and then do you still feel really bullish that as the baby boomers age and we get a a higher percentage of our population aging that the demographics are still really favorable for the industry
1: yeah no I I mean yes the underlying demographics the underlying fundamentals to the growth Are are will and continue to be there for the reason you just mentioned, the aging uh, baby boomers. But it's not just the aging baby boomers. It's that um, there's an increasing number of baby boomers who are wanting to stay active longer. And so um, they're not willing to tolerate impaired function or living with the pain. So that's really going to support the kind of growth that's projected for this industry in general. And I think that as technologies that address healing and, um, you know, enhancing the body's own ability to heal, uh, take, you know, uh, take off, I think that that's going to drive more and more people to um, look at and want to get um, something done where, especially where the results are, are compelling.
0: So that orthopedic industry looks a little less like um, joints and more kind of like the products that we're talking about yeah. here, sort of helping regrow, helping yeah.
1: I'll tell you, I tendons, think that, that
0: kind of thing. I
1: think um, what we're gonna see are in the joint area, yeah. we're gonna see innovations in the form of lower cost um, systems. Right, lower cost prosthesis as well as lower cost instruments to do the the surgery. I think we're going to see the the industry gravitating to either um, disposable or semi-disposable instruments to save costs for both the uh, vendors as well as the hospitals. I think that there is going to be more and more focus on orthobiologics um, to help this healing. Issue that we talk about um, I think um, that there are going to be um, there's going to be a lot of focus on areas like um, you know noro um, uh, robotics mm-hmm. areas like that um, but I, I do think that there's going to be continued investment uh, but it's gonna there's gonna be a lot of focus on driving costs out of the right. the, the, the the products um, and offering the other thing is offering uh, prosthesis for the hip or the knee that are more customized, more personalized right. for the patient yeah. so it's better fit, but I do think that there are are things that will you know that will become more and more important, but the underlying fundamentals are there for, mm-hmm. to support the growth
0: and in terms of business model innovation we're seeing a lot of that some of these interesting pilot programs like yeah repless sales models right. or, or right. some of these other th- um, some of these other programs we're seeing where they're, they're looking to, to provide a whole suite of services and things right. like that right um,
1: i think that's going to continue and i think again what's driving that is uh, becoming so that that suite of services is really to, to differentiate um, those companies from each other, so you know you may not be able to differentiate on the on the, the product, the technology itself, because many of them are converging. Right. Um, but um, you can differentiate on the services, or differentiate on the, the bundled package that you offer, the the, the hospital or the uh, ambulatory center, and then uh, repless um, models uh, like Smith and Nephew have um, just launched. I think that um, in many cases, so that's not really hard to do because in many cases, yeah. the reps are in the surgeries, not because they absolutely need to be. They're there because um, that's traditionally how they've handled and supported, you know, the hospitals. Mm-hmm. Um, with sur- with surgeons who have done use their their products, their technologies for years and years and years, There's really not a good reason for the rep to be there, but there is one good reason, and that is the instrument sets that are being used in these surgeries are very complicated, and um, you need reps on hand to ensure that they have all of the pieces and parts to do that surgery. Mm -hmm. As we move towards simpler instrument sets, possibly sets and and, um, uh, more intuitive instrument sets, and um ultimately to disposable instrument sets the justification for that rep to be in the room is, is becoming um less and less
0: mm-hmm. but right now you're selling procedure by procedure at this time
1: that's right okay. right and we have a direct model we right. sell um we have direct salespeople.
0: Mm-hmm. and i i don't you're do you anticipate you would ever have a repless model or something like that, or does it seem like? Um,
1: well, interestingly enough, um, our model is built on the assumption and the belief that um, once the surgeon is um, comfortable and confident that they can do our procedure, um, we're not in the OR with them for every case, right. which is really unusual. Yeah. What that allows us to do, and we're starting to see that with many of our earlier physicians who adopted the technology, is what that allows us to do is leverage our selling organization to go out and find new doctors. So we're much more efficient. And instead of having, you know, a rep that covers a city, um, we can leverage that rep across a wider geography.
0: Mm -hmm. I'm curious as to how you came to the company. And Mm -hmm. I was looking at your background and You're a CEO, but you don't have an MBA, correct? I do have an MBA. You do have an MBA. Yeah. Then then I must have misread your bio.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I have a master's in biology and an MBA.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So how did you come to the company?
1: Um, So I've been in medical device Mm -hmm. for many years, um, and I had an opportunity um, to get into orthopedics through Zimmer, and um, the position was um, interesting to me because it – added to um, sort of my skill set in in a way that I had not um, had the opportunity to in the past. And by that, that I mean that um, I was uh, responsible for a fully integrated functioning unit um, and had all, you know, I had sales and marketing and R&D and all of the functions related to the business. So it was a mini business within a larger corporation. And I wanted that experience, uh, um, so that was great for me. Um, And, you know, what brought me to uh, Rotation Medical is, one, the technology is so compelling and exciting that um, I was really... um, excited about the potential that we could have in changing the way rotator cuff disease is treated today. Mm -hmm. But I was also um, really um, attracted to the smaller organization um, that is um, full of very smart and engaged and passionate people who are um, all very focused on the goal of bringing uh, this novel technology to market and helping patients. And um, I love the, the opportunity of being able to uh, work with people like this where we can make decisions very quickly and make changes and, different, and a difference much more quickly than you you might otherwise be able to do in a very large company.
0: And, and how big is the team right now?
1: Um, we've got about 24 people
0: and they're all out of Minnesota or?
1: Um, We have um, our R&D, our engineering, R&D, all of our um, sort of support group is there. Our field, our sales organization is scattered throughout the country. And then um, I keep offices both in the Boston area and in Minnesota. Mm
0: -hmm. So you're not a snowbird. No. 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 <laughs> Although we got our
1: fill of it this year, didn't yeah, we, here yeah, in Boston.
0: Sure did. Um and so is this the first startup you've worked with? Or? It is.
1: It's it's the first startup. Yeah.
0: And so you were at Zimmer? And I was. You were at, and prior
1: to that, I was at Covidian Covidian. Yeah. Okay.
0: So you've been at all the big companies. And yep. You've seen how they did it. Yep. You were at the sports medicine business in Covidian, correct?
1: That's right. Yeah. I ran the biosurgery and sports medicine businesses. And biosurgery was for uh, neuro- sealing neuroleaks mm-hmm. um, and spinal leaks.
0: What do you think you learned at those big companies that you're trying to take with you here and yeah. in the, in the small companies, just in terms of, you know, not the nitty-gritty stuff, but any overarching lessons that you try to keep with you, like, I don't want to become that, or I, we have to do this, yeah. any, any of that kind of thing?
1: Um, you know, I learned very early at those companies that um, engagement of your employees is absolutely paramount to a successful organization. So having frequent And, um, you know, honest communications with the organization is really important. And I've taken that from the big company to the small. When people understand what's going on, when they understand the challenges, when they understand why decisions are being made, um, they're much more um, likely to, um, you know, get on board and help you drive or or steer the boat, you Mm -hmm. know. Um, So, I learned that um, from big companies. I think also, um, you know, I, I also learned that every seat on the bus is really important. And so, we're very careful about our selection of employees. We're looking for people who not only fit culturally, and by that I mean that they're high energy, they're passionate, they're creative, they think out of the box, and they ask questions, and they're not afraid to speak up and say their mind. Um, say what's on their mind, um, but they're smart. You know, they really they they know their stuff. And mm-hmm. um, you know, in a big company, you learn that you, you, it's not you that it's going to get done, get the job done. It's the people that you work with. And so, um, it's even more important. It, it's you know, it's a it's on steroids when you get to a small company because right. you have limited resources.
0: And, and did you find that culture in place in rotation when you got Absolutely. there, or did you help, or have you sort of pushed that to foster that? Uh,
1: no, I, I think that it was well established before I got there, and um, you know I've enjoyed. Um, I, I think the company was very well run. There were there we've had very little turnover. Uh, the the hiring model was great, and it continues to be great. So um, I think that I've benefited from that, and just continued to, to, you know, propagate it.
0: And your job was to commercialize the product. That's to right. Take the company to the next.
1: That's right. Well, my job. To the next level. Yeah, my first job was to raise money. Right. So <laughs> I came on board with, uh, you know, a mandate to get our our round B raised, right. which we did, and closed the last summer, and then commercialize.
0: Mm-hmm. And how about how long did it take to get that round b because it's uh
1: yeah it took about, those are the tough ones right it, it was especially brian in this market um there aren't too many vcs left that are investing in med tech, and when they are it's later stage companies so they're looking for the company to be fairly de-risked right, right. commercial showing sales um
0: bridge to acquisition basically, ex- exactly
1: right? yeah. um So uh, it took um, from start to finish about um, nine to ten months. Hmm. Yeah. So it was it wasn't it wasn't short, and it was beating on every door, and um, you know, not taking no in some cases, (laughs) which there were a lot of.
0: Yeah. And then you get to do it again sometime soon. I would imagine. Um,
1: Hopefully not. (laughs) Hopefully, if we're careful, we raised quite a bit of money. Right. It
0: was twenty-seven million. Yeah. It was.
1: It was. So if we're really careful, um, we might be okay.
0: Mm. That's great. Yeah. Well, it sounds like a terrific product. Is there anything I didn't ask um, that you wanted to add?
1: Um, no, I think that um, we're excited. I think I spend a lot of time in the, in the field, visiting doctors who um, are using our product just to get their feedback and learn from them. And uh, we continue to get validated that there is a tremendous need and that we're filling that need Um, they're excited they're telling their friends about us so um, i think it's all going in the right direction for us and thank you for having me
0: oh you're very welcome